Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Well, Jude is a um, very short little book next to the last epistle in the Bible. And we've looked at the um, first two verses in the first two weeks, which will move a little quicker, hopefully, as we go along. But basically, in verse 1 and 2, let me just read those real quick. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And what, what we saw... And, and, and I think Jude kind of took it a little bit in, in opposite order. But first Jude declared himself, even though he was the brother of Jesus, the natural brother of Jesus, lived in his house, knew him after the flesh. That's not what Jude emphasized. Jude emphasizes that he's a bondservant. He has surrendered his life totally to Jesus. Doesn't matter that he, I lived in his house. Doesn't matter that we have the same mother. I'm his bondservant. He's God. I'm not. And... Part of the reason he did that is because Jude had a revelation. Remember, you go back into the Gospels, there was a point there when, when Jesus was in Nazareth that it said his friends and his family came to him and they considered him to be beside himself. The Greek word there for beside himself is really a technical word that means he's schizophrenic. That's how we would look at it today. He is not, his, his right mind is out here and he's out of his mind. That's literally out of, me is the literal meaning of that word. They thought he's crazy. He is just not, this is not right. He's, he's beside himself and they came to take him and take him because they were afraid for him. They, these people are going to kill him. He keeps claiming to, to be all these things. And we know he's not. So, Jude went from an unbeliever, I mean, he believed that Jesus was a man, but he didn't, he didn't have a revelation of who Jesus was, spiritually. But after the resurrection, he did. They all came around. And Jude realized, I know him. I, 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 we slept in the same house, we ate the same meals, we had the same mother. But this is not, this, this is God Almighty that lived in my house. And when he came to that realization, he, he stuck his earlobe on the, the side of the doorpost and said, Jesus, drive a nail through it. I want to bear your scars. And he surrendered his life totally. But part of the reason he did it is he had a revelation of the last part of verse 1 and verse 2. He knew he was called. He knew Jesus had called me by name, not because I'm his brother, but because I'm a sinner and I need him. He knew he was called. He knew that God the Father had sanctified him, set him apart and said, Jude, you are special because Jesus is in you now. And he knew that Jesus was keeping him. Jesus was preserving him. He, he's going to have problems. He's going to fail. But Jesus is right there saying, you're still my son. I don't care what goes on with you. I am with you, and I will fight your battles for you. I will encourage you. I will build you up. Just keep your eyes on me. And he did that by, by knowing that mercy and peace and love had just been poured out on him abundantly. When you get a revelation of God's mercy and his grace and his peace and his love, 
It, it, it literally changes who you are, how you look at, at situations in life. It's only when we get back looking me, 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 that's when we start having those problems. But then we come to verse 3. And, and Jude really is, if, if you read it on a surface level, it's kind of a depressing book. It's a depressing little letter. Jude himself is a little, you know, he's not real excited about this. Verse 3, this is Jude's commentary. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation... I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. When he starts this out, he said, I was very diligent to write to you. Our English minds, when we look at that and we think, well, he was diligent, that means he, was, he just was intense. He's going to get this letter written to us concerning our common salvation. That's not what this is saying in the Greek. To, to be diligent, the Greek word here that's translated diligence means literally to make haste, to hurry up. And the, the, the picture that I always see is a picture of, of, of a, a preschooler who you tell, we're going to go get ice cream once we get out of this appointment. And as soon as you do, man, you can just tell. I, I, I had a, a video that I posted one time of, of Beck he, it was after something we had done, and we had candy and stuff. And you could tell this little boy had just a wee bit more sugar than he should have. But he has this thing that he does where he literally just bounces at 1,000 miles an hour. And, and while he's doing it, he's humming, and it, you get this vibrato out of his voice, and it just looks like he's this little wind-up monkey going... And when you see it, it's just, it, it, it just exudes enthusiasm. It's like I'm wound up, I'm ready, and somebody put me in gear because we got to go somewhere. That's the word for diligent. I am anxious. I'm joyfully anxious and ready and fired up, and let's get going. Come on. Pack the bags. Put them in the car. we got Disneyland is calling me. And I'm, I'm ready to go. That's what Jude's saying. He's saying, I was anxious to write to you about our common salvation. Now, <clears throat> back, let me back up because I'm, 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 I'm getting a little too exuberant here. The word there, diligent, is also used. Jude and 2 Peter parallel one another. They're both um, um, considered, and I always want to say apocryphal, <laughs> apocryphal. They're apocalyptic. In their nature, they're warning. The, when you get to the end times, this is some of the stuff you're going to have to deal with. Well, we're at the end of the end of the end right now. And even if it's 50 years before Jesus comes back, when you consider cosmic time, we're still really close. Amen? Peter, in, in, in 2 Peter verse one or, or chapter 1, verse 5, uses this same word in this way. He said, but also for this reason, and the reason is that I want you to, to um, well, let's go back there. Back up to um, verse 4. Let me find it in my Bible. Second Peter chapter 1. 
Let's just start in verse 1, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at it in verse 5. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Again, Peter knew Jesus, but Peter said, I knew the man, but I'm, I'm surrendering my life to him. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have, given, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter is, if you meditate on those four, verse, those four verses for a couple of months, that'll change your life. Peter's just said, you've got the same faith I've got. You have got the same promises I've got. And those divine promises will, will bring his divine power into your life to give you everything. Everything, all things. It's an interesting word. It means all things. There's nothing that's not included in all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has opened the vault of heaven and said, this is all yours. It's all yours. Come get it. Partake of anything you want. And he's, but he's given it to us through his precious promises that through those we can be partakers of the divine nature. We are one with Christ. That is an incredible statement. The same nature that, that of, of God that lives in Christ lives in me. Not because I'm special, but because He made me special. But then He says, don't rest in that. That's, that is an overwhelming promise. But that's only the starting point. Verse 5 said, but also for this reason, because you have been given the entire kingdom of God, He's opened the vaults of heaven to you. Because of that, for this reason, giving all diligence, be anxious, be wound up and ready to pursue what? Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. And it goes through the whole list. He's saying, God gave you everything there is to give you when you got born again. But it's not enough. You got to grow. You got to grow. That's exactly what Jude is saying. He's saying, I wanted to, to talk to you and write you. I was anxious. Man, I just had it on my heart and I just wanted so bad to come and, and, and write to you about what God's done for you. I wanted to give you the first four verses of, of 2 Peter and expound on them. I wanted to bless you. I wanted you to know how much God loves you. But he won't let me. He's told me i got to give you this, this warning. And I'm telling you, I, I've had days like that where, where you prepare and you prepare, and it's like, God, can I, just, can I just preach a happy sermon? Can I just tell them how much God loves them and pat them on the back and send them on their way? And God says, no, you rebuke them. It's like, I don't want to. You know, Gina and I found out real early when we had kids, the hardest thing that we had to ever do was pull out that paddle. Oh, 
But there were days when, you know, you forget the paddle. You wanted to go get the whip and just beat them. Don't look at me like that because I know you've all had those thoughts. That's why very, very soon when we started discipline our kids, we realized there has to be a cooling off period for mom and dad. You go to your room and wait. When I get my, and when I'm back in my right mind, then we'll come talk and you'll get a paddling. But you never wanted to do it. And sometimes you would neglect it and neglect it and neglect it. And you'd put it off because you just didn't want to have to go do it. And when you neglected it, the problems just got worse and worse and worse and worse until you dealt with it. Well, Jude is saying, I wanted to give you a happy message, but God said, no, I need to. And I wanted to tell you about our common salvation. We're, we're all in the same boat. We're all, we've all got an open window to God's treasure chest. It, Hebrews tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace. I want us to just, let's just go up to the throne and worship God for a while and get covered in His glory. I, can we just do that? No. Sorry, I can't. Because I've got to tell you about these guys that are going to come in and try to deal with you. And, 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 and then he gets pretty pointed. And, and, but, but, but the interesting thing there in verse 5 when it says, giving all diligence, add... It, it, it's the Greek word that, that depicts a chorus leader or a symphony director. And he, what he's saying is, and I don't know about you all, but I'm one of these weirdos that, you know, my, my son-in-law, you all know Matt. I love Matt. But he has one character flaw, huge character flaw. Christmas music is allowed in his house Christmas morning to Christmas when the sun goes down. And it shall not be played any time the rest of ever. Well, I start playing Christmas music for me when the first Christmas for July sign comes out. I just love Christmas music. I can listen to it all year long. It, it's, and I don't understand. I, literally, I look at him sometimes and I think, that's weird. But here's the thing. One of my... Um, favorite songs is Mary Did You Know but I love the rendition by Pentanex and I don't know if you know about Pentanex but Pentanex is an acapella group and they have no instruments they just start with voices and, and, and I listen to them and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you know if they had a symphony behind them it couldn't be any more beautiful than, than what they do but, but it starts with one sound, and, and there are a lot of beautiful symphonies that do the same thing. You'll start with one note, with one instrument. And it's, if you've got a good musician, man, it's just it's so pure, and it's, it's just like, wow, it grabs your attention. But then another instrument pulls in, or another voice pulls in, and then another one comes in, and, another, and the more they add to it, they blend. And, and when you get enough of them blended in the right way, Suddenly, the sum of the parts is greater than, than the whole. I mean, it's, it's just you have a sound that you none of them can make together. That's what Peter is saying. It's what, what Jude is also saying. I need you to add these things to your faith. It all starts by faith. I mean, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Let me, let me look at this before we go on to verse um, 4. Hebrews chapter 11, and I, I've ministered on this a lot, and I know 
Some of you look at me sometimes and you think, wow, you, you just retranslate the Bible too much. But I'm convinced of this. Let's start in verse 1. We're going to go down through verse 6. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. So the subject that we're talking about here is the elders. Verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed. And I've taught this before. I'm not going to go back through all of it. But the Greek word there for worlds is the word aeon. And it means ages. We get the English word eons. It's not talking about the physical planet Earth. If it meant the physical planet Earth, it would use the Greek word G, where we get geology. That's what dirt is. Dirt is G. Aeon is an age. So when he says, by faith we understand that the ages were framed, what ages? The ages of the elders. They framed the age that they lived in by a word that God gave them. God came to each of these men and women, these heroes of faith that are listed there, and God spoke something to it, and they took their life, and they fashioned their life, their age, according to what God said to them. Now, when you look at it that way, then when you get to verse 4, you look at it, and it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. How did Abel do that? He did it by faith because God said, Abel, I want you to do it this way. And Abel took that and said, Okay, I'm fashioning my, my offering according to God's word, not according to how I think it should be. And God accepted it. And then verse 5, By faith, Enoch, and I, I particularly went to this, this, these verses because later on in June we're going to deal with Enoch. Enoch was a very special man. It says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that God, that he pleased God. How did he please God? He pleased God because he believed God. We're going to see that. In fact, let's just drop down there. Verse 6. But without, for without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God, two requirements for those that come to God. He must believe that He is, He must believe that God is, that God exists, and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Again, this word diligent, same word, it, it, it's being anxious and anxiously pursuing God. That's what Peter's saying, that's what Jude is saying. You have this faith. You're in the kingdom. We talked about it last week. Relax. Just relax. You are safe. But you're not done. <laughs> you got a job to do. And your primary job is to start adding things to that faith. Start plundering the, the, the treasure house. The treasure house is not gold and silver and precious stones. The treasure house are the promises of God. And walking in holiness and walking in God's power and being a vessel of, of, of grace and a, a vessel of, of power to those in need. You know, I've said this before. God wants all of us rich. He wants me to have so much money that I can meet my needs and, 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 and turn around and bless people. But if I hang on to that money, I'm cutting off the flow. But he doesn't want me rich because I'm something special. He wants me rich so that when people have a need and he tells me, keep in mind, God, God doesn't ask us to meet needs according to the person's need. He wants us to meet people's needs according to his will. And it requires us to listen. Listen. 
Because there are times when God will tell you, I don't want you to give that money to that person. Are they deserving? Yes. Do they need it? Yes. Is God going to supply it? Yes. But He doesn't want you to supply it. I, I listened to, and it, it was, it, it really struck me. Um, and I lost his name. The pastor, and he 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 was talking about giving, and he he's he, someone in his church had a need for like four hundred dollars, and he had money, so he wrote him out a check and handed it and gave him four hundred dollars. And when he got home, he was praying to God about it, and God rebuked him. He said, I did not tell you to do that. And he said, well, Lord, they had a need. He said, yeah, they got a need, and I was going to tell so-and-so to give them $100, and I was going to tell somebody else to give them $100. And these four people that I was going to tell each one of them, give them $100 and meet that person's need, they need the blessing off that. And you stole their blessing. And I'm thinking, that's a radical thought. We get moved by people's needs sometime and, and move on it when God's saying, I need you to just listen to me. I don't, that $400 was part of about $4,000 that I wanted you to build up so that later on, when I told you to give $4,000, you had it and you could sow it without being, being uh, really petrified. Now, God, let me tell you, God will... Do things that will stretch you. And sometimes God will ask you to do things that will just scare the pants off of you. You know? He'll ask you to do things that you can't do. I know that sounds weird, but He does because He wants to get the credit for it. But, but Peter, here in Hebrews, it's saying this common faith, that, that we've got this common salvation, you know, we're to earnestly contend for, it's all about adding to what He's given us in the new birth. And it's all about bringing these things so that in my personal life, I have a balance between my faith and my mercy and my grace and my ability to stand up and rebuke the devil and my ability to resist a good con man. I, I'll never forget when Gina and I went to, um, to Ramah, the first week, two weeks, I forget what it was, first sermon we heard at the school was entitled, Beware of the Charismatic Cons and, and the, the Pentecostal, um, ho yeah, not the Pentecostal, Charismatic Cons and Holy Ghost Hobos. That there are people in this city that know you have come in to go to school and they will talk you out of the money that you have set aside for your tuition and they will end up being in school and you won't. Or they won't even be in school, they'll just be out spending it. And your heart, your mercy, your, your openness to give, you got conned. I'll tell you, I have to watch that. I've been conned more times than I like to count. But all of this, it's, it's faith. And I am convinced, even when you get conned, if you just go ahead and sow it in faith and ask God to deal with the con... They'll wish they hadn't conned you out of the money because God will dog them hard. And who knows, he may get in there and get, get their heart through it. Remember, I, I am convinced, and I'm not going to preach on this, but I'm convinced that part of the reason what gave entrance for God to deal with Paul was, was Stephen's prayer when they stoned him and he forgave those that were stoning him. And Paul was the prosecuting attorney to trying to get this man stoned. So, you know... We need to be careful even when, especially 
when people cheat us or do anything. But we have this, that we all approach this the same. Now he says we are to earnestly contend. That literally means you stand up to fight. You know, when you, if you've ever watched boxing matches, the, the um, um, referee brings the two contenders to the center and has them face each other. Well, if one of them refuses to fight, and that, that happens, and, you know, usually after the fight's been going on a while, one of them will get hurt, he just won't answer the bell. I'm not getting up and fighting anymore. Jude says, contend earnestly. You need to get up and fight. You, can't, you cannot play hooky. We all have days when it's like, Lord, yesterday morning, I tell you what, I, I went, I looked at my phone, it said it was, it was 20 degrees and the wind chill was 15 and it wasn't light out and I thought, man, that bed's warm. I want to go back. And I would have missed one of the best discussions I've been in in years had I just given in and said, no, I'm playing hooky today. We need to get up and we need to get engaged in the fight. And, and I'll be honest with you, the fight, we have to be careful. The fight's not with flesh and blood. It's not those stupid Republicans or those stupid Democrats. It's not those stupid right-wingers or left-wingers. The greatest fight I'll ever have is right between my ears. That's where my war goes on. And husbands, it's not your wife. And wives, it's not your husband. The fight, as I've said before, Pogo summed it all up. I have met the enemy and he are us. But we have to contend for this faith. Then verse 4, or yeah, verse 4 of Jude, he tells us, and this is where the warning starts. He said, we have to earnestly contend for the faith. Why? For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. There's a real problem with that part of the verse, mainly because of the King James. King James says that, that these men were long ago, long ago ordained for this con condemnation. And a lot of people have taken that to, to say, well, God ordained, God called these people to be condemned. That's not what that means. The, the, the word there literally is, is the Greek word uh, prographo. Pro meaning before, and grapho is the Greek word for write, for words, writing out words. And what it's saying is literally that these men who have crept in unnoticed to us were long ago written about. It means in the Old Testament, God prophesied. And he said, guys, you've got to be on the lookout. There are people that will come in and that will, will sow seed. Jesus said it in, in the, the parable of the tares. There, God came and sowed seed in a field and it was pure seed. And the enemy came in at night and sowed tares amongst it. And when you look at the, the, the stalk growing up, if you've ever had um, um, grown wheat or grown oats or any kind of small grain, when that starts coming up, you can't really tell between the difference between the grass and the wheat. They're slightly different, but if you, only a trained eye will catch the difference. But when they bear fruit, when you get to the end of the season and the wheat starts to put out a head and the grass, it's, it's a little bit of a head, but it's grass seed, not wheat. There's a big difference. 
That's what he's talking about. I have told you before. I'm warning you now. This is a new warning. There are ungodly men. Literally, when it says ungodly, it's those that refuse to worship me. That's what that word means, that Greek word means. I will not worship your God. I, 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 I have, I don't know if it's a good habit or a bad habit, but I like to listen to debates between people. And I get, I get on YouTube and I listen to them. And I was one of my favorite commentators, and he's a political commentator, but he's also a religious commentator. He's a Jew, but he, he, he just, he's a, just a very smart man. He was debating uh, it's out, or, um, Dennis Prager. He was debating Alan Dershowitz. And I've gotten a great respect for Alan Dershowitz in the last few years because Alan Dershowitz is a man of the left, and he stood up and said, what's going on in this country not right? People are, are, they're just, you know, they're not playing by the rules. And he's not just talking about the president, he's talking about the president's, some of the president's attackers. And I'm not trying to get into politics. But they're debating at a Jewish synagogue about the, the, the Judaism. And Dennis Prager, is, he's not orthodox, but he's a practicing Jew. He believes in, in the, the Torah. Alan Dershowitz is a confirmed atheist. Now, he has Jewish heritage, and, you know, if, if, if they had lived in Germany in Hitler's time, they both would have gone to the concentration camps. But Alan Dershowitz rejects the Bible. In fact, he not only rejects the Bible, but in this, this debate I was listening, he was angry about what the Bible has to say. I mean, vividly, openly angry. And I'm thinking, and, and he, some of the things he said, you could just watch Dennis Prager. He's just shaking his head like, oh, Lord, I've got, a, I've got a recalcitrant student here. He's just misinterpreting everything that he's talking about. And I think he was. But the, 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 the thing behind his anger was, I am angry with God. He says he, well, he, he wouldn't, I don't know, he would claim he's an atheist. It's more like an, he's an agnostic. If there is a God, and I don't really know there is, if there is, he just doesn't care about us. Or if he does exist, he's, he's messing with us. His view of God, if, if, if there is one, is more of the, the, the um, Norse gods who sit on the mountains and just kind of, you know, let's, let's just throw a little monkey wrench in this guy's life. See how, you know, it'll be fun. Watch him suffer. Kind of like the little boy with the magnifying glass, you know, on the anthill. Let's burn a few ants and see how they react. That's some people's view of God. He's an angry man up there, and he'll mess with you. He'll put cancer on you. He'll make you poor. He'll kill your dog. If you do anything wrong, he'll kill you. He'll kill your dog, I'm telling you. I, I, I look at that, and, and, and I'm thinking, this is a perfect example of what Jude is talking about. He's ungodly because he refuses to bow his knee. And that, when you get right down to it, that is the issue at hand. It's not that any of the things, he's got a thousand reasons. But when you just keep backing him down and backing him down and looking for the root and looking for the root, eventually you will get to the root where the root is, God said, you will bow your knee to me. And Alan and millions like him will say, Nope, I'm not going to do it. And the, the sad part is, the verse in the, in the New Testament says, there's coming a day when every knee shall bow. Now, 
the great part is, I'm bowing now because I know he's God and I'm not. He's holy and I'm not. I'm screwed up, you know. I've said it before. If you think I'm a really great guy, talk to my wife, talk to my kids. They'll, 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 they'll sh- clear you up in that area. But even though that is the truth, I still have bowed my knee and said, Jesus, I need you. And he said, good, that's all I wanted. Bow your knee, I'll come in, I'll give you everything you've ever dreamed of. I will change you from the inside out. Now sometimes I display that, sometimes I don't. But those who don't bow the knee, the ungodly men, they at some point will stand before God and they'll be, you've, you've seen it in movies where somebody comes in before the king and they're not going to bow their knee. And the guard takes a, their big staff and they just whack them in the back of the leg and they go down. You get hit hard enough in the back of your legs, you will go down. And that, they will bow, but it doesn't mean anything. They were forced into it. These ungodly men, there are two traits that, that Jude talks about. They will turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They are going to come in with with a two-pronged attack. They are going to come in and say, you don't have to have any restraint. There's nothing like, there there is no sin. You know, in fact, that that was one of the points that that Mr. Dershowitz made. He said, this whole idea he said i've read the ten commandments he said four of them are okay the other six are stupid it's like really but they 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 don't want to deal with the guilt of knowing and remember paul said the whole reason we have the law is to prove to us that you can't keep the law well alan dershowitz took care of it i can do i can do four of them but those other six they're stupid why are they stupid because you can't do them That proves you're a sinner. That proves you need a Savior. But if you're not willing to accept that fact, then you're not looking for a Savior. And instead, a lot of them will go the other way and they'll say there is no such thing as sin and it soothes the conscience of people. And when you soothe their conscience, then I don't need Jesus. Those Christians, they're just a bunch of judgmental you know, not heads that are just trying to heap condemnation. Who are you to judge me? I'm nobody to judge you, but the Word will judge you. And, and that's why Jesus said, we need to judge ourselves lest we be judged. He's saying, don't, don't just keep bombarding yourself. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a worm. No, you're the holiness of God. God made you that way. He recreated you when you got born again. But you still need to add things to that. You still have to correct yourself when you're wrong. You still have the propensity to to screw up and mess up and do things that are horrible. You know, I've said it before. You have to hold, it's a paradox, but you have to hold two thoughts in your mind at the same time. I am the holiness of God manifest. And I'm also, I could be just as bad or worse than Hitler ever hoped to be. It just depends on who I'm listening to at the time. I still, my flesh still has that nature of sin that, that says, calls me and says, hey, it would be easier just to do it this way. You know, go ahead and cuss at that person. He deserves it. So what if they deserve it? They probably do. 
Let's face it, when you get out on the highways, you meet a lot of stupid people. And usually one of them you meet's the one sitting right behind the wheel. Your wheel. Because we all have tendency to get stupid when we get in, out in there. Something about being in a 3,500-pound car that just makes you feel empowered. You know? But they will turn it into lewdness. And it's not just, because everywhere I looked, every commentary looked, they always said sexual sin. It goes so far beyond sexual sin. This is, this is the root of our, of, our, of our addiction problem. This was, and God help us, it was my generation. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Man, that's what you need. And it was free love and free drugs. Just, I forget what Timothy Leary's saying was, you know, um, what was it? Tune in something else and tune out and drop out. It, it, was, it was like, just look, if you'll just take these drugs, they'll, they'll, they will expand your mind. Yeah, they'll expand your mind. They'll screw you up. And we've got, we've got all kinds of people that are addicted today because people, and it was, it was the church that wasn't praying and, and by this, the church, and I'll, I'll put the, I will put the blame right squarely where it goes. It was the pastors and the teachers in the church that weren't teaching the congregants to stand up and contend for the faith. And in their own life, and when they were confronted by this stuff, they look, this is not, this is not real. There's a deception here. And then they deny the Lord God, Jesus Christ. Now, and, and this is one, you know, it's um, probably the greatest evangelist for that, that um, um, position is Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, you know. And if you listen to her, most of what she says, it just sounds so good. But when you come down to it, I, I heard, I saw a YouTube clip, a lady in her show challenged her and said, there is only one way to the Father, and his name is Jesus. Oh, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to Jesus. There's a lot of ways. The, 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 you know, Christianity is not, doesn't have a better way to God than, than Buddhism does or Ju Judaism does. I've said it before. There's a, if you've got a billion people, you've got a billion different ways that people are going to come to God, but every one of them has to intersect and go through Jesus. That's the commonality. If you, if you're, because you're an individual, you got an individual story, an individual road that you walked, but you are going to come through Jesus, or you're not getting to the Father. It doesn't matter which, you know. You look at these some of these mazes that that people draw out. There are a gazillion different ways to get to the last point, but you got to get to that last point. That last point is Jesus, and if you're not willing to go through Him and bow your knee. It's just not going to happen. Now, here's the thing. What's that got to do with me? Well, <clears throat> go to Acts 20. And I want to look. Um, we're going to start with verse um, 30 reading. But if you go prior to that, and I'm just going to summarize. I'm not going to read it all. Acts 20. This is where Paul called in the elders from Ephesus. And Paul had been three years teaching in Ephesus. He pastored that church for three years. Now, you, you want to talk about a dynamic church. That, I, I couldn't imagine sitting and having the Apostle Paul as your pastor. I have a feeling he, you know, he could rub you with sandpaper at times. 
but the revelation he could give you. And, but he's, he's heading to Rome, and everywhere he goes, they're prophesying to him that there, is, there are chains and, and torture and probably death awaiting him when he gets to Rome, and he doesn't care. He doesn't take this as God warning me not to go to Rome, and it may have been God warning him not to go to Rome. He takes it as a challenge that I need to go to Rome and preach the gospel to my people. Because as a people, they're going to hell and I can't stand it. They have opposed me everywhere I went. But I still have a love for my, for my family and I've got to go preach to my family. And in, in verse 25, the end of it, he says he's talking to these, to these elders that he's called from Jerusalem or called from Ephesus. And he says, you will see my face no more. He doesn't expect to come out of this alive. Now put yourself in that situation. You're on your deathbed. And you've got one last thing to say to the, your loved ones. I've been, not me being there, but I remember when my mother, she was 53, had ovarian cancer. She, she went from a vibrant woman to literally about a 90-pound skeleton, and 40 pounds of that 90 was tumor. I mean, there was nothing left of her. And one of the last days that, that she was loosened and could think and could talk, she called me into her room. And she looked at me and she said, I'm going to die in a few weeks and I'm going to heaven. And if you don't follow me, I will haunt you forever. <laughs> now I'm telling you, may not have been scripturally correct, but man, it grabbed my heart. It grabbed my heart. She, she had a, you know, mamas and boys, mamas have a way of, 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 of knowing where to pierce the heart of that boy. And she knew I was, oh, I was living for the devil. My Lord in heaven. I was running so hard to get away from God. But she knew she could, God could draw me back into it. But she, it was the last time, she, it was her last shot. And she thought through what she was going to tell me. That's where Paul is. I'm going to go die. He said in, at the end of verse 27, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Now don't misinterpret that. That doesn't mean that Paul taught the whole counsel of God. There's not a man in the universe that's ever lived other than Jesus that knew the whole counsel of God. What he's saying is I've taught you everything I know. I've taken you as far as I can take you. And Paul was pretty far down the road. He said, but I'm, I'm, I'm about to come to the end of my life. He said, now, because of this, verse 28, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock of, of, of among you. And, and he said, because after my departure, I'm in verse 29, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up. He said, you're going to have two sources of attack, guys. You're going to have people coming from the outside to attack your church, and you're going to have people from the inside attacking your church. Wow, that's a rosy picture. It's like I've said before, if you're having going through hard times, there's only two reasons you're in hard times. You've done something wrong, or you've done something right. That's it. Well, that's great news. That means hard times are coming. Absolutely. Absolutely. Life's hard. Get used to it. God has given you an overcoming spirit to overcome those hard times. But Paul is just, he has just painted 
an unbelievably despairing picture. He says now, therefore, verse 31, watch, wake up and give attention to. Remember that for three years I didn't cease to warn you. Uh, every one of you, night and day with tears. And then these are his last words to him. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. See, our problem, and this is what we need to take out of this, out of Jude 3 and 4. How does any of this apply to me? I want to make sure that I'm not one of these ungodly men promoting lewdness, anything goes, or, or, or denying God. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm not capable of that. Don't deceive yourselves. You may not, you may not be, because what we do, we tend to paint the absolute word. We, we, humankind, and if, once you get this revelation, it's interesting to watch people debate. Politics, it doesn't matter what they're debating. They, we, we build strong men. And some of the greatest debates you'll ever have are the ones you have between your ears. You build straw, straw men arguments. And that straw man is always the worst example you can come up with. Well, I'm not a homosexual. I'm not a bank robber. I'm not a murderer. I'm not preaching those things. Good. Great. Uh, James said, yeah, you believe there's one God? Good job. Even the demons believe. Uh, just because you don't meet the, 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 the extreme end of that doesn't mean that there can't be little nidbits uh, and, and tidbits of, of that spirit in you that are calling to you and saying, just go on and do that. Yeah, you know, homosexuality is bad, but, you know, some of this other, it's just an R-rated movie. It's just, you know, it's just one drink. It's just a little of this. Before you know it, you know, you, you've played on that, that bank and you slipped in. And you're over your head. So what do we do? What's the answer? I, I know I'm not the worst def definition of all of that. But my God, is there any of that in me? Verse 32 Look to God and look to the word of His grace. It's what we said earlier. Get in the word. The word will convict you. And you know, I've had people come up over the years. It's amazing the people that come up and say, man, that, that sermon really blessed me. And every once in a while, if I have time and I'm thinking, right, because, you know, after you've preached for a while, you get a little tired and your brain just not working real clearly. But sometimes I'm really sharp and I say, what, what blessed you? <laughs> And they'll tell me what blessed them, and I'm thinking, I didn't say that at all. I don't know where you got that. That wasn't in my notes. I don't remember chasing that squirrel. Where did you get that? Somehow, that's what they needed, and that's what God spoke to them through that message. The Word will do that. The Word preached will do that. When you read the Word, it will do it. When you study the Word, God will do that. It's the Word, and it's not just the Word, because... I had somebody challenge me one time. I said, look, you keep saying this is alive. It's just ink and paper. I said, yeah, it is until you plant it. I, I used to, I loved it when, when I, I taught middle school. Well, I didn't te love teaching middle school. But I loved one of the things we would do. I would just go buy um, um, 
the red beans, kidney beans, the dried ones, the bag in the bag that you soak and boil and make kidney beans. And I would take those and put them in a, I'd usually just put them in a dissecting pan, and I'd put a bunch of paper towels on the bottom, and I'd wet it, and I'd lay those, those seeds on there, and I'd put wet paper towels on top of them and let them sit for a couple of days. And you come back, there's little sprouts. They've all germinated, or most of them germinate. And this is food. This is not, these are not, you don't go to the hardware store and buy these to seed to, to you know, grow bean plants. It's just something you boil to make bean soup. And yet there's life in it. When you look at it in that bag, it's deader than a hammer. But it's dormant. There is life in this word. And when you plant it in your heart, it will come alive and it will sprout and it will start sending roots out and it will anchor itself in you. And it will anchor you to Him because He's in it. Jesus is the word. Not, <clears throat> don't, don't run off with that. When you read a verse, it doesn't mean, well, I've got Jesus in that word. So, you know, the more I eat it, the more I have of Jesus. No, you've got all of Jesus that is, is. He's in you completely. And I know that's really weird. How, how can I have all of Jesus and you have all of Jesus? I don't know. No concept how that works. But the word is true. But I, I get a revelation of, of one of his aspects from the word. And when I plant it in my heart, it grows up. And it keeps me from following this way. But then I can also, it also, Jude 4 also tells me, this is where I, I see some of these people going this way and that way. I don't want to follow that. I don't want to follow that. I see error there. Now, don't, don't, again, don't run off too far. Because if, if you sit and listen to me long enough, you're going to find some things you disagree. Because guess what? I don't know the whole counsel of God. And there's some things, I've, I've gone back and listened to some of my tapes. Lord, I've listened to some of them and thought, whoo, that one gets burned. I don't ever want that one getting out in circulation. How could I have been so stupid? Well, how did I do that? Because I've grown since then. I'm not perfect. No preacher is perfect. And, and, and there are things, you know, Brother Hagin had his, one of his favorite sayings was, be as smart as the old cow. Eat the hay, spit the sticks. Well, just because there's some sticks, just because you, you, you listen to a sermon or you read something and there's parts of it you don't agree, well, hang on to the parts that you do agree with. You know, I've said it before, if, you're, if you think your church is so screwed up you've got to leave, well, go find the church you can belong to. But if you find that perfect church, oh, stay out of it. Because it won't be perfect when you get there. Why? Because none of us are perfect. I mean, I, I've had, you know, we've all, if you've been in the ministry very long, you've had people, oh, I'm leaving because this, there's just error here. It's like, well, yeah. There's error in every church in existence because we're filled with fallible men and women. I mean, how could there not be? But the thing is, are you striving? Are you pushing? Are you getting in the Word? Are you trying to grow? Are you adding something to your faith? Are you saying, God, I know I've arrived, but it's not enough. Okay. I mean, and I realized, if there ever was an oxymoron, that was an oxymoron. How, can I be, how could I have arrived and yet I need to go a little farther? Again, I have no idea, but that's what Jesus says. He says, when you have me, you have everything. You're perfect. Well, how can I grow if I'm perfect? I don't know. 
but I know he says I need to grow, so I'm going to grow. And I take it as a challenge that I, I, I need to, to, to just keep working on myself and working on myself and working on myself because <clears throat> hang around me long enough, you will figure out I have my days when I'm not a very nice person. Well, work on it. Now, the challenge for you is where are those areas in your life? And that's what, that's what I leave you with. If you're a Christian, if you've accepted Christ, you're sitting in heavenly places. You're seated with Him right now in heaven. And all of heaven's treasures chest is open to you. But you need to add to it. If you're not a Christian, time to get in. Because I'm telling you, there's only, there, as far as I can see, and this is not my subject today, I only see two things that, that two prophecies that needed to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back. One's a shout and one's a trumpet. That's it. That's all we're waiting on. And that could come any second. If you know someone that's not saved, you know, compel them. Go out and say, look, the feast is at hand. Come on in. Here's some, here's some clothes. You're not dressed up? We'll give you clothes. I mean, that, that, that really is talking about the, the, the lambs, you know, the, um, um, the feast of heaven after the rapture. Well, I don't have clothes. Well, he'll clothe you. He'll, he'll dress you up. Okay, but you've got to compel them to come in. You've got to convince them. But the easiest way to convince them of that is share, share with them what God's done in your life. And... If, if you're adding to these things, then it's a more convincing story. Amen? So I, I, I make that challenge to you this week. Examine your heart. Find somewhere that you need to change something. And then ask God, where do I need? What, what scripture do I need to stand on to get this changed? And realize... It's an up and down battle. You can change it and the next day you slip right back. Just 1 John 1, 9, Lord, I screwed up again. Yeah, I know you did. But you know it, you've confessed it, I'm going to cleanse you of that. Let's, let's press on. And keep pressing on and pressing on and pressing on and pressing on until he comes. Because that's all we've got left to do. Amen? Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.